Good evening. It's good to see everyone here tonight. Uh, we have a, a big crowd tonight. For those that usually go to simulcast, I apologize. We had to cancel that tonight, but usually Clay Bailey helps me over there and Steve Sanders helps me over there. One of them's obviously leading singing. Uh, the other one is away on stateside and I'm the only minister here. So we don't have anybody's staff uh, the simulcast, so I apologize. We may be a little bit crowded tonight, but I hoped uh, with the number that we have gone on the stateside mission trip uh, that we would have enough room. And if you're visiting here with us tonight, we're glad that you're here. We're thankful to have you as part uh, of our worship service this evening. I hope that you will uh, appreciate what God has done for you and sing his praises, and perhaps we can learn a little bit uh, about his word as we uh, study together. I hope our members that are sitting around you, if you don't recognize the face, uh, please introduce yourself. Uh, you may find out they've been going to church here for about 10 years, but you never do know uh, if they may be someone new in here. We want them to make them feel at home. Uh, just a reminder uh, to be praying for our team on stateside in Kentucky uh, and also be mindful of our group that is in Brazil uh, doing the Lord's work. And I think they're both supposed to return uh, on the 14th later on this week. So please be uh, mindful of them and all our other prayer requests uh, that have been prayed for tonight in your bulletin. This morning we talked about heaven and the scene that we saw in, in Revelation about uh, the heavenly host and people there praising God. And so to cheer you up tonight, I thought we'd talk about the end of the world. And that's a difficult topic for some people. I remember growing up, and most of you that are my age and younger and older, uh, will remember being afraid of the devastation of possibility of nuclear war. Uh, we had shows on TV, movies about it. Uh, most of the younger generation, the millennials, they don't know that fear, although there are just as many nuclear weapons in the world and just as many people with their finger on that trigger uh, as they were when we were afraid of it. Because of the great hostility between the then Soviet Union and the United States, uh, those of you who lived in the 60s and can remember, remember the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, where the Russians parked a bunch of warheads right off of uh, our coast after we parked a bunch of warheads off of their borders. Uh, in Turkey, we kind of had this standoff uh, going on and we worried about the end of the world. Uh, and it was always fascinating to me to watch people build bomb shelters uh, and the business of doomsday prepping that went on because the people that paid for that didn't realize if you went into that bomb shelter, you couldn't come out for about 150 years uh, until all the radiation was gone. So I don't know how much bottled water uh, that you can stir up and how many cans of chicken noodle soup you can store around uh, stay, to stay in for that long. If you don't believe that, I've got some property in Ukraine in a beautiful town called Chernobyl uh, that I will sell you right now for a very wonderful price. But we worried about that happening and the end of the world, we would call it. But really, it wasn't the end of the world in the way that the Bible talks about the end of the world. It may be in the end of our civilization, the end of all animal and plant life perhaps on the planet, a terrible end to what we call this world, but it wouldn't destroy the planet. As powerful as we think we are, we couldn't destroy the entire planet or all the heavenly bodies or the entire universe. That's what God talks will happen in the end. Everything will be gone. It's a popular teaching by evangelicals though that God's really not gonna do that. He's just gonna wipe the slate clean and he's gonna rebuild on this earth a whole new nicer utopian earth uh, and he's gonna put a new Jerusalem in place uh, that's described in Revelation but we always have to remember that's symbolic talk. And I think people that want that to happen on this earth are people that cannot give up on living on this earth right here. 
They can't give up on this human habitation. They can't give up on having things here in this life. And to me, that's startling because the promise that we have of heaven and the things that are there should make us care less about the things of this world. We should look forward to the end of the world because preceding the end of the world, as we have sung tonight, is Christ coming back and calling his elect, gathering them from the four winds and taking them home in heaven. And then everything is over. The dead are gonna rise out of the graves first and the rest of us will be caught up with him in the air. There's no teaching in the plain text of the Bible about Jesus coming here and setting up some earthly kingdom. That forces us to read a book that's symbolic and read it literally. I wonder if we're ready for that. Do we desire that? Uh, as Peter talks about in Second Peter, do we desire all that to be burned up and destroyed? It reminds me of Jesus' message in the Sermon on the Mount. He said, don't store up treasure here on earth where, where moth and rust destroy and, and thieves break in and steal, but instead store up treasure in heaven where nothing can happen to it. Thieves can't break into heaven. There is no moth or rust in heaven to destroy that. So are we doing that or is the things that we are the things that we cherish here on earth and we're afraid to give them up? If the end of the world scares you, I urge you to examine your heart and think about, well, why is that the case? Because I'll tell you, as we study tonight uh, out of Second Peter and we talk about the overall context uh, of the Bible as far as concern with that uh, event, the apostles looked forward to it. There is no sense of dread uh, of that happening. It was an event that would happen as natural to them as the sun coming up the next morning. If you got your Bibles, turn with me to Second Peter. If you don't have your Bible, you ought to bring it next time. Or you might want to use the one that's in front of you in the pew. Second Peter, if you're not familiar with the Bible, I didn't write down the pew book, pew Bible page number, so I'm really failing on my job. It's, it's close to the end of the New Testament. Uh, if you come to First Peter, I'll give you one guess. What's next? It's Second Peter uh, in that way. And even Peter says in his letter, the context of this book of, of Peter writing here another letter, he says to his audience, this is the second letter uh, that I have written you, hence the name Second Peter. Uh, he deals with a lot of Old Testament things. He talks about the prophets and he says in chapter one that no prophecy was given to man, uh, was given to people by man, but as they were carried along by the spirit of God, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets uh, and the message that they brought was legitimate uh, and from God. And he goes on to talk about false teachers and warning his audience that they're gonna come and they're gonna talk nonsense and they're gonna teach things that are against what God has taught. And it's interesting, one of the things that they say at the beginning of chapter three in Second Peter when he says here, and starting in verse one, he's talking about these same uh, people, these false teachers. He's got some real ugly things to say about them. He says, now this is the second letter that I am writing to you, beloved. In both of them, I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder. His audience needed a little prodding. That you should remember the predictions of the holy prophets and the commandments of the Lord and Savior through your apostles, knowing this first of all that scoffers will come in the last days with scoffing, following their own sinful desires. And here's the interesting thing. They will say, where is the promise of his coming? You know, one of the things that people struggle with today is that they think about Christianity and whether or not the Bible is telling the truth and whether or not the Bible's predictions are legitimate and the promises of God are legitimate. They wonder 
Why has it been so long? Why has it been 2,000 years, 2,015 years somewhat, since Jesus left this earth and promised his disciples that I won't leave you as orphans, I will return to you. Well, he didn't return to them except when in the resurrected body and he left again. And why hasn't he come back? Well, we don't know the answer to that question other than the fact is God's not ready for him to come back yet because Jesus told his disciples, I don't know when it's gonna happen. Only God in heaven knows when that's gonna happen. And I was just talking to one of our members a minute ago about the end of the world and they said, you know, it's here. And I said, you know, I bet my grandparents and my great-grandparents and my great-great-grandparents, every time something happened like World War I or World War II or the Cold War, they said the end of the world is coming right now. And if the world lasts another 2,000 years, every generation is gonna say times are terrible and the end of the world uh, is coming. But it's a real spiritual struggle for some people. It's a question that's come up in my mind before and it's a difficult question to answer. And here Peter tells his audience that scoffers will come. And you know, we can say, well, Peter's talking about our day. Well, Peter's talking about their day because otherwise his message is useless to his intended audience. So what did it mean to his intended audience? That they were gonna have people then that said Jesus wasn't coming back. Those of you that are familiar with your Bible, and familiar with the writings of Peter and Paul and the other writings in the Bible, even the, the words of Jesus perhaps in Matthew 24, which is a very apocalyptic and strange uh, to read passage, they expected Jesus to come back in their lifetime. There is not one shred of doubt in my mind that Paul and Peter anticipated Christ to return in their lifetime. Their language indicates that, their anticipation. Paul's letter to the Thessalonians, those things anticipate him coming back. And that's okay, they probably hope for that in that way. And I wonder, do we hope for that in that same way? I don't know why Jesus hasn't come back. There are a few clues in the scripture Jesus mentions and how little we take that is, is up to us that, that he won't come back until the gospel is preached to all nations. And this morning we talked about there around the throne were people from all nations, all languages, all people. And that has not happened yet that I know of. I think that's why we still send missionaries to some places. But we know that it was one of the things that people that detracted from God's word and, and God's promises would tell people that's not gonna happen. Jesus is not coming back. But Peter reminds them to be patient. He goes on, he says, they deliberately overlooked this fact in verse five, that the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water. Remember God's face hovering over the deep. And we got a little Old Testament here. It was formed out of water and through water by the word of God. Going back to Genesis. And by this means of this world then existed was deluged with water and perished. We think about the destruction of humanity and, and most of the animal kingdom with the flood that happened. But that didn't destroy the earth. That wiped out creation. And we know God promised not to flood the world again with his rainbow. But by the same word, the word of God that created the world, by the same word, the heavens and earth now exist are stored up for fire, being kept until the day of judgment and destruction of the ungodly. God is keeping the heavens and earth until he is ready to be done with them. It's his word that created the heavens and earth. It'll be his decision when they go away. But here's a passage some of us may be familiar with. It says in verse eight, but do not overlook this one fact, beloved. He keeps calling him beloved, I love that. 
that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years uh, as one day. Paul there is quoting from the Psalms and talking about the, the distance of time to the Lord. For someone who has always existed, which we can't even comprehend that, what's a thousand years? What's 2,000 years? What's 10,000 years? Nothing to him. So he says here, but it's interesting what he says in nine. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, contrary to what the scoffers may say and the people today that say, if this Jesus really existed, he would have come back by now because the world's in terrible shape. There's all sorts of evil running around. There, there's terrible things going on. I, I can promise you that if I went back and you want to talk about crooked politics uh, and inappropriate sexual activity and violence and destruction uh, and, and hatred of your fellow man, let me take you back to the first century. Let me, let me take you back to the brutal life uh, of the ancient world and you'll be like, man, I'm ready to go back home. I'm ready to get back out of here because this is terrible times to live in. If you think that, that sexual sin is rampant today, let me take you back to the first and second century uh, and what was going on that day. So for people to say, well, the world's terrible today. So Jesus already came back. Well, the world was terrible when Jesus lived in five years after Jesus left this earth and 10 years after he left this earth. Let me introduce you to the dark ages after the fall of the Roman Empire. Let me introduce you to the bubonic plague. You think there's a time in history where people haven't said it couldn't get any worse than now. But the Lord is not slow to fulfill that promise as some count slowness like we do. But what's the reason? But he's patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I believe God is patient with us so that just as many people as possible could be saved. And that's what he says here. He says I w he wishes that everyone could come to repentance. And that is God's desire. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. Not just for God so loved the Jews or for the God so loved the Judeans or for God so loved white Anglo-Saxon Protestants. He said no, why God loved the whole world is the reason that he sent Jesus Christ. So he wants the whole world to come to repentance. It's depressing that that won't be the case. But that's what he wants. He goes on to say, but the day of the Lord will come like a thief and then the heavens will pass away with a roar and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Uh, many of your translations will have a different uh, word that they may be burned up, it'll be found, it'll be destroyed. There are many uh, things where it will be found, wiped out there. The context certainly goes on and we know that everything's gonna be destroyed. It's interesting when he talks about this day of the Lord especially to Peter's Jewish audience that had become Christians, but they were still Jewish. And they remember their scriptures. And they remember this phrase, the day of the Lord. Uh, Paul uses the same language in 1 Thessalonians 5 when he's talking about the day of the Lord because that's all the Thessalonians are waiting on. They are dying for Jesus to come back uh, and for the world to go away. But that phrase is a phrase that would hit the eardrums of Jewish Christians very heavily. Because in their scriptures, in the prophets like Amos and Isaiah and others, the day of the Lord is a big deal. The day of the Lord has one of two contexts in the Old Testament. The day of the Lord is the day that God will judge Israel or Judah for their sins. The day of the Lord came when the brutality of the Assyrians enslaved the northern kingdom and killed everything else. Or the day of the Lord was when the Babylonians came in and destroyed Jerusalem and took away their people to captivity. But there's another day of the Lord. It's the day of the Lord where God judges the enemies of Israel. 
when he judges the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Greeks and the other people of the ancient world when they did. So the day of the Lord was something to be feared. It was judgment. And it was about God in the Old Testament, God the Father. But here, when Peter uses the day of the Lord and when Paul uses it in 1 Thessalonians, the day of the Lord is the day that Jesus Christ comes back. And you know, and you think about that, that is the day of judgment as well. It's a day of liberation for God's people and it's a day of damnation for those who do not believe what God says. It's a day of terrible judgment for people who have rejected the Son of God. You know, it's bad enough the people that rejected the Word of God that came at Sinai and Moab, that rejected the old law and they rejected the word of the prophets that say, thus say the Lord. It's one thing to reject God's messenger. It's another thing to reject his son. I always hear people talk about the God of the New Testament seems so much more lenient than the God of the Old Testament. We all know that it's the same God. I dread the judgment and I fear the judgment of God of the New Testament because he has given us one shot one deal. There's not going to be a second chance. There will be no restoration from exile. There will be no returning to the promised land. It's it when Jesus comes back. And he says he's going to come like a thief. Jesus says something very similar in Matthew uh, 24. Paul says it in 1 Thessalonians 5. The day of the Lord's going to come like a thief. How many people here, I want you to raise your hand, would like for a thief to show up at your house tonight? I figured there'd be one weirdo that would want a thief to show up at your house. Nobody wants a thief. A thief is unwanted. It's someone that is not wanted. And for these scoffers uh, and the people that Jesus talks about, he says in Matthew 24 that it will be like the days of Noah. People will be marrying and, and giving in marriage. And what that means in apocalyptic language is life's going to be going on and everybody's going to say this Jesus thing's not for real and nothing's going to happen to me. That's the same thing that goes on today. It's the same thing they told Jeremiah when Jeremiah said, God is angry with you. God is fixing to punish you, Judah. And the people that were against, against Jeremiah said, nah, nah, don't listen to him. Everything's fine. We are Judah. We have the temple. We have Jerusalem. And a few years later, the temple was laid to waste and all of them were hauled to captivity. Uh, in doing, people today are going to say the same thing about the day of the Lord. Don't believe in it; it's not going to come. There's even people that say, "God that loves us would never let that happen to us." Well, He didn't let it happen to His people before. I promise you, you wouldn't want to see the Assyrians show up at your front doorstep. That would be something you would dread. He goes on to say in eleven that these things are going to be dissolved. What sort of people you ought to be is lives of holiness and godliness. Okay, if this day is coming, how do you need to be prepared? What sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness? Now, get it just a minute. People dread the end of the world. What does it say about Christians? Waiting for and hastening the coming day of God because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That word waiting and hastening there or not waiting like I'm waiting for something that I dread, like I'm at the doctor's office and I'm in the waiting room uh, and I'm gonna go back here and he's gonna stick a wooden stick down my throat and he's gonna stick big needles in me or, or they're gonna do something to me. It's not a sense of waiting with dread, it is a waiting with eager expectations. And the hastening in some of your translations may say hurrying this thing. It's like, I wish it would get here. It's like a kid at Christmas time 
or, or their birthday's coming. I wish that day would come quickly. I'm ready for it to go. I see all you parents like this right here when I said that right there. But they're ready for it to come. It may be like a woman waiting on her wedding day. She's looking forward to that day coming. It would be eager anticipation. So do we do that? Are we eagerly awaiting? Would we like for God to hurry up and end this world? Are we ready to go home? If that scares you, there's something wrong with your faith. Now, we may all fear what may happen to us at the end of the world, but if, if Jesus comes back, nothing's going to happen to you other than you're going to be caught up with heaven into the heavens, into the sky with Jesus Christ. And you're going to go before the throne of judgment, and the, the judgment's going to be the blood of Christ covers all that sin. Come on in, enter into my rest, like David's been talking about on Sunday morning. But if you don't know that God's going to tell you that, then it ought to scare you. And you ought to not leave here tonight without being unafraid. You ought to not leave here without removing that fear uh, from your life because you can be baptized into Christ. You can have that blood cover your sins. You can be washed in the blood of the lamb as we talked about today. And then you've got nothing to worry about. I love talking to older mature Christians that don't fear death coming. That they're more years behind than there are in front and they don't fear it. They're ready to go home. A lady was talking to me this morning about that. She's ready to go. I love that. That means a lot to me as a young, younger person. I'm not so young anymore, but it means a lot to me to know that she's not afraid. The people that I talk to are not afraid of it coming. And you can have that same peace with God if you want to. I urge you, do not leave without working towards getting that peace. If you're ready to be baptized into Christ tonight, then come forward and do that. If you've been made a disciple of Christ and you're ready to put him on in baptism, come. If you don't yet know that or you don't understand why, come and let's talk about that before you get baptized and let's make sure you understand the covenant that you're about to enter in with God. Perhaps you've entered into that covenant, but you've shown yourself the door uh, and you've left it by your own choices and your own decisions. You've turned around and left God. His arms are waiting for you come back but that door is going to be shut one day just like it was shut on the five virgins who weren't ready in Jesus' parable they came back with oil but the door had been shut and they couldn't get in there'll be a door shut one day that you won't be able to go back I urge you tonight to get yourself right with God and don't live in fear uh, of his coming and of the end of this old dirty world and us going back to heaven don't leave here without being sure of that come tonight as we stand and we sing